Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Retail Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Dan Mazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the people, and the technologies that are coming together to shape the future of retail, or as we like to say, the retail news organization. The organization that organization and on tomorrow, today. Okay. I love that line, Ann. I know you do. You really love it. That's like your favorite it's line. It's like my favorite line I've ever created. I uh, contemplate skipping it every <laughs> single time oh, that we set this up. But <laughs> nonetheless, I am resilient, Chris. And resiliency was the name of the game coming out of NRF. So we're going to talk about that today. So fresh after yeah. rousing appearance back in November, we are pleased to bring back to the show Microsoft's General Manager for Retail and Consumer Goods, David Leibowitz, and fellow Top 100 Retail Influencer and Microsoft's Director and Partner Marketing Advisor for Retail and CPG, Ricardo Belmar, to discuss the steps retailers can take right now to become more resilient, Chris. Damn right. Uh, Ricardo, David, welcome to the show, you guys. How's it feel? David, this is your second time back. Are, are you prepared for another session with us? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> this is no, old hat for... Adequately yeah. prepared. I think we can still say, well, it's still January, so I can say Happy New Year. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, it's a great new year for uh, for all of retail coming out of our first annual uh, reunion event that is uh, NRF, the big yes. show. So that was that was great. I think I'm adequately prepared and seeing what uh, you know, the future, the near future of retail will bring. It was Good. great to folks in 3D, outside of the metaverse. In 3D, so, I know. Who knew? I, I know. Yeah. And, and David, correct me if I'm wrong too, but you are also a top 100 retail influencer. Am I am I right about that? I think it's a mistake, but yeah, I think I was like 101, <laughs> and then somebody tripped, and somehow I I I made it you know, by the skin of my teeth. That's so, our joke, David. Yeah, I mean, there's only one picture of both of us <laughs> yeah, represented, right. so we're like, That's I right. think we were pretty sure like 101 and 101.5. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but but I, it's thrilled to be part of. Uh, you know, such a community of yeah. influencers, thought leaders, uh, cross-section, cross, you know, being able to learn from this group uh, of, of retailers, folks that supply retail, technologists. Uh, so really exciting for me to be part of this group. I will probably be kicked out in 11 months. <laughs> really expect it. Really excited for 2023. Excellent. Well, it's really great to have you. Ricardo, this is old hat for you. And so is being a top 100 retail influencer. Um, how are you feeling today, Ricardo? Are you ready to talk I, resiliency? I think, yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I'm as ready as I can be, I think, for any kind of an OmniTalk appearance. <laughs> yeah, right. You never know what's going to come <laughs> your know. way. This is, I think this might be the first time in history, too. There's been four influencers on one webinar. Like, oh how many influencers does it take? We're, we're breaking some rules here. On retail thought yeah. leadership, right? Yeah. We're well, shattering walls. <laughs> well, before we get started on that influencer, top 100 retail influencer journey, uh, I want to remind everybody who's listening and watching live on LinkedIn to remember to feel free to ask your questions of David and Ricardo in the chat window to the right um, at any time during our conversation. Uh, and with that, let's let's introduce both of you to the audience if they didn't catch our, our show last time in November. Um, David, let's start with you. So I'm David. I'm now a top 100 retail influencer for 2023. Um, but more importantly, I, uh, I lead an industry team for retail and consumer goods at Microsoft. Uh, what that means is 
I have a team similar to myself who have a background in retail and consumer goods. We get to work with some of the top brands uh, in the United States uh, around the things that they should be doing to improve the bottom line, capitalize on opportunities. Technology always comes in second. It's running around what's the, you know, the business outcome we're trying to drive. So really excited to be working with, uh, with this team and also to kind of gather the you know, signal that we get from folks like OmniTalk and, and the rest of the retail influencers because that just makes you know, the signal that we're receiving even stronger when we provide that feedback to our product groups. Excellent. Yeah. We've got a lot of good questions to cover, especially coming out of NRF, like you said, um, that touch on exactly the the brands that you mentioned that you work with and the work that you're doing at Microsoft now. Uh, Ricardo, let's go to you next. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about you and your role at Microsoft. Yeah. So um, I'm Ricardo. And uh, like your, your great intro said, I lead partner marketing for retailing consumer goods for Microsoft in the US. So what does that mean? That means I get to work with a lot of really amazing partners in the Microsoft ecosystem that deal with you know, all kinds of different uh, challenges that retailers are looking at, whether it's supply chain, e-commerce, you know, anything around customer experience or just tools that help you know, your store teams uh, work better. So I, I kind of live in that uh, area between where uh, you know, Microsoft-based solutions with what our partners build on top of that to really solve some unique problems for retailers. So it's been, I find it, I think it's, you know, pretty exciting to, to be part of that and see the perspective from so many different organizations of what's happening with retailers. Yeah. You've got a pretty cool job. I must admit, mm-hmm. like you're kind of right in the epicenter of everything that's going on. It's pretty admirable, man. All right, well, let's get to it. So, you know, we put this event on today Ann and I wanted to press you both on the ways retailers can leverage technology to become more resilient because coming out of NRF, it's been like the show me the money year. I've been saying like, People are going to want to make sure their tech investments are paying off. And most importantly, they're going to want to make sure that they're putting their money towards the things that are going to be the most productive for them as they look forward this year. So initially we thought five because, you know, and that's our shtick, that's our moniker, so to speak, and everything we do. But but you guys kind of pushed back on us a little bit. You said, hey, we're only going to give you three today. And so I'm curious what those three are. David, why don't we start with you? What are your top three things here? So... The first one we talk about is, uh, and it's not new news. It's uh, you know whether it's 2023, year before next year, uh, retailers are always looking to reduce their margin pressures. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing things that we we consider basically table stakes. And if it seems like we've heard this movie before, it's 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 an ongoing challenge for retail. You know, coming out of uh, NRF, Ricardo and I participated in. Uh, a talk with uh, with our friends from George Mason University. Uh, we sp- co-sponsored a study around what consumers are looking for when they look for retail, uh, whether it's on-premise retail brick and mortar or whether it's omni-channel. Mm-hmm. And the the challenges that uh, that consumers have, those pain points, it's around finding the right product. It's around the pricing of the, that product, around clean, safe, uh, fun, energetic stores and staff. That's not rocket science. And it's all the same challenges for retailers. These are things that we could be doing today. We should be doing today with technology that we have. So um, inventory control, right? That's the main thing. We wanna make sure we've got the right product, the right time on the shelf when the customer wants it. Uh, Growing concern around pricing strategies and returns management. We wanna make sure that people aren't overbuying or bracketing those purchases uh, because that creates a margin pressure. Uh, of course, you know, obviously clean, safe, well-lit stores, 
these are just, it's table stakes. The assets that our retailers have are the actual physical spaces that they uh, provide their, their products and services in. And so these are things that we really need to focus on so that we're well poised for the future. And so that was kind of the, the overarching theme. We didn't want to kind of double click on, uh, or we did want to double click on a couple of those. You probably heard mm -hmm. the challenges around inventory control and supply chain. Um, but one of those, the key areas around inventory and pricing optimization, which I know is uh, kind of near and dear to Ricardo. Yeah, Ricardo, why don't you take that? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about this, as David said, right, these are pretty much table stakes, right? You know, we, we every retailer's experiences, every consumer's experiences, right? We all have the last few years where uh, inventory has been up and down. You, you, it's almost to the point where you don't know as the consumer, am I going to run into uh, too many things to choose from on the shelf? Is there not going to be enough? Am I not right. going to find what I'm looking for? And we all know what the reaction is, right? The consumer who doesn't find what they want, they move on to another store, they go to another retailer. So it, it's certainly a table stake. It's certainly near and dear to the hearts of every retailer. The good news, right, with this is that there are a lot of solutions now for this. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, right, you know, I, I get to sit in this space where I, I look across different partners that build on uh, on our platform. And uh, there are a number of them now that have solutions that, you know, and I think when we were here in November, we talked about returns management, right, mm -hmm. and, and things that were happening there. But now when we think of just inventory alone, right, do I have that end to end visibility across my supply chain to know that I can fulfill every order? Do I know I can stock every shelf and every rack on all of my stores? Do I have what I need at every distribution center for those e-commerce orders? You, you kind of need that almost like a control tower view, right? To know all the way through end to end, where is all of my product, right? Where is it coming from? When is it coming so that I can fill it? And then one of the big things that comes from that, of course, is it's going to impact how you price it, right? We know that this volatility is going to change pricing. We've all been living through a lot of inflation over the past year. Consumers certainly don't want to pay more than they have to on anything. Everyone talks about whether they need to discount, how much do they need to discount? So again, the good news there is I'm now working with a lot of different partners who are really clever at how they're applying AI and machine learning to look at across your entire supply chain and those, your inventory position, what can you do to optimize your pricing? How much do you have to discount based on the supply you've got, based on the demand you're seeing uh, to really get the right price point so that you're still going to get some margin out of it without feeling, you know, to David's point at the start of this, right? It's how much margin pressure can you withstand? Uh, obviously, you want to minimize that, and the solutions exist now to help with that. And I think we've seen some examples of retailers who have, uh, you know, talked about how they looked at some of their historical purchase data. They understood, you know, where were the trends, what did they need to uh, replenish in that inventory, and then how did they set that price point? And there are now solutions that help you kind of automate that to a certain extent. And I've even seen a couple of examples where, uh, you know, you can see high single digit to almost double digit improvements in conversion on some of those uh, items, which, you know, we all know that's pretty significant for, mm -hmm. for any retailer. Ricardo, are you seeing like interesting mashups then of partners that you're working with that maybe weren't there before? Or do you have an example of like a, a, a retailer or brand who's kind of brought a couple of the partners together to kind of get a better idea or visibility into their inventory accuracy and then the the impact of pricing and, and other things that are coming from that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the key here is it's what you just said, and it's that there, there's a partnership across multiple providers that, that's yeah, needed, right? Sure. There's no one solution that's going to be the end all be all to all of this. It's the you know picking the right combination. And you know, a lot of my partners are actually partnering with each other right, to that end, right. right? To combine their solutions and then go to a retailer. I, I'll I want some specific ones because I know some of these, a lot of our customers view this as a competitive advantage, right? So I want to give away <laughs> right. too many this of them. This is their secret sauce. I, I, I know some of the partners are, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure some of our partners, they're in the chat, they'll speak up here and offer some examples for themselves. But the uh, I think that's the key thing. The key thing is, you know, I might be using a one provider for my primary supply chain management tool. I might have another one that looks at my uh, forecasting. And then I might have a third that's specifically analyzing all of this data to figure out what my optimal price point needs to be. Sure. And they're all working together because they plug into the same platform. Right. right. So at the end of the day, the, one of the keys is, right, do you have the right platform that all of these things can plug into and work together? And that I think is where, where the big advantage comes in for, for retailers that have an eye to look at this forward enough to say, I need the right mix of partners with the right solutions to bring in so I can accomplish all these things and not worry so much about, do I need to just find the one partner that does it all? Yeah. So Ricardo, I want to push you a little bit. I wanted to put on my like 20 year retail veteran hat on this one too, because there's a part of me also that's like, okay, inventory and pricing optimization, that's not really anything new, right? Yeah. So like, are right. you just, is it just that you're seeing a renewed focus on it? It's even more overtly a focus now because it's always a topic, right? Especially coming right. out of NRF yeah. and what people are focused on. But but are you saying there's more heat and more energy devoted towards it now than you've ever seen before? I, I, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah. you know, one, one of my takeaways from this NRF was this sense of back to basics, right? Back to my business basics on how am I optimizing things from a, an overall business point of view versus what's the next shiny object that maybe customers will, will catch their eye and will, right. will get them in the store. You know, I, I might even call this a, a shift between focusing on customer acquisition versus optimizing the customers I have, right? And, and what do I, what do they want? Yeah. What can I do better for them? And right. to, to your point, Chris, right, this right. isn't new. And, and, and I think we've both now <laughs> well, mm -hmm. said it, the, you know, there's a reason why these are table stakes. It's because you have to get this part right before you start adding in new things. And I, th there's been improvement in the tools maybe is the other way to look right. at this. Right. You know, the AI has gotten better. There are more machine learning has been trained on this now. So there are new solutions that if you supply them all your data uh, around your historical customer purchase data, right. they can come together and give you much more reliable and, and narrow in the scope on where to optimize the price and what changes to make at the right time, where maybe before you were kind of had a little bit of a gut instinct around yeah. it with some of the tools. Now it's a little bit more precise, a little more scientific around it that gives you that extra efficiency. Yeah, I like what you said there too about optimizing the customers you have. I feel like that's a trend that yes. we're starting to see a lot of too, because the money's you know starting to not necessarily dry up, but getting tighter and more controlled. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to go spend it on acquiring new customers. You're going to do the most you can with the ones that you have. So that's an interesting point, David. What about you? I, I question I have for you on this side of things too. What what are you seeing? You know, being stores being such a still such a central part of the retail experience. What are you seeing there in terms of? like labor allocation, productivity, like how are people trying to attack that? Yeah, it's it's still a challenge. You know, if you read the news uh, recently, you know, CVS and Walgreens are reducing their pharmacy hours because they don't mm -hmm. have enough pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Yep, right. right. So we it's talk about resilient retail and it's about um, do more with less. I hear that again. It makes me a little nauseous. It's just, 
could do more because <laughs> we can't ask people to do spend more time in the day, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, for less benefit. So it's a more about how can we drive, um, you know, more value from the human capital and the resources that we have, great customer experience. Uh, retailers are still in a talent war. So whether it's pharmacists, customer service, whether it's cashiers, whether it's folks that are um, providing a concierge service to, to pick and pack, uh, and they have choice. They have choice. Mm -hmm. They can vote with their feet and uh, they could decide where they want to, uh, where they'd like to work. And some are going to, some retailers will look at uh, increasing an hourly wage to attract uh, talent. Some are looking at how can I provide uh, the technology benefits so that my workers can see some value so that they can conduct their work that has, you know, we talk about value and dignity in that work, tools for the job. For a very long time, retailers were, you know, deathly afraid of enabling, bring your own device policies. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. they're looking at, well, how do I do that? Because my, uh, my employees are used to having technology on the job to help them do that job. How can I provide that to them with the right governance and safety? Uh, earned wage access, we've talked about. So plugins to labor management tools so people can pick their shifts. Uh, this is hugely flexible. You know, it came out of uh, some polling from last year. It's not just around hourly wage, but being able to define your own shift. Mm -hmm. Right. Flexibly, the right time. People have families, they have other commits. So, and then being able to perhaps get paid after that shift and not wait yes. for a week, two week, three week period. And so when we provide these tools for the job, it's about providing more value from that human capital, from that customer service experience. And so it's not about asking people to work an extra 10 hours uh, a week. What I equated to is you see around, um, maybe typically around seasonal peak. When I walk into a Costco or a Walmart, the line's really long at the cashier for the checkout. Uh, they don't, they obviously don't have a deep bench and they can't open up another line. But the folks that are customer service, and here it comes, here comes your prop, the guy <laughs> who's got his inventory control yes. tablet walked up to me with my shopping cart and started doing a pre-checkout for me, right? It was line busting, basically. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got up to the, the conveyor belt with the uh, cashier, all I had to do is swipe my card. Now, providing that tool meant the, the customer service agent in the store was able to provide me a value-add service, shorter trip out the door. These are the things that it's doing, it's providing resiliency, kind of easing into a technology path and giving people the tools that they need and a premier customer experience because they didn't have a really long uh, uh, shopping trip. So we add these little things like automation. Uh, it pays dividends, uh, not only for the retailers trying to attract talent, but also for that customer service uh, or concierge who's in the store to provide that excellent customer service to, to their consumers. Well, Ricardo, I want to go now to number two. David was just talking about doing more with less, trying to be resilient, both from you know the human capital standpoint, but then also the technology that you've invested in. You alluded it to a little bit in number one, but let's dive into to number two. Uh, what what can retailers be doing to be more resilient? So number two really is kind of building on what David said. And I kind of agree with him on, on his gut reaction to the so often hearing do, do more with less in the sense that, you know, a lot of people, when they hear that, they inherently think I've, I have to cut costs, right? And that that's what, what the answer is. But I think what the real lesson to be learned there, and we've seen this over the years, right? You can't really cost cut your way to success. 
mm-hmm. right? That that's not a formula that works. And what you really want is cost reduction, and right. cost reduction actually requires some investment, right? You don't, it's not something you get right away by just cutting things out and expecting to still be productive as a result. If you want resiliency, you need to invest in a more long-term way on how you're going to reduce some cost areas. Uh, by gaining some efficiency by doing things differently, for example. So what what are some examples of things you can do with this? You know, if we talk about those frontline workers in in stores, you know, David's example was, I, I love that example with the line busting, because that's all about giving the right tools, which of course that's an investment, right? It doesn't, those tools don't come for free. It's an investment that you have to provide those store teams, but what's the benefit, right? The benefit is they get more people checked out faster, right? Um, your, your transaction rate goes up. Let's look at it that way, right? So that's a benefit. That's a real benefit from an investment that's designed to reduce a cost of losing sales, I I would argue. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there are definitely things that you have to kind of turn things around a little bit. And it's not as much that you're doing more with less, it's that you're doing more with the right things and the right investments. And I think that that's one of the key things for getting that resiliency out of it. So, you know, what other solutions can you do? You know, again, I'll I'll stick with the the store teams uh, issue. You know, during the pandemic, we saw the use of a lot of collaboration tools that Mm -hmm. typically didn't used to leave Mm -hmm. headquarters, right? It was, there were tools that corporate teams would use, but they got pushed out to the stores. Mm -hmm. And since then, we see store teams continuing to use these collaboration tools. How how are they using it? They're not just talking to each other in in a big box store, right? We know that there are reasons when someone in one end of the store needs to talk to somebody at another part of the store, rather than, you know, relying on an old fashioned radio, you've got better technology now that can be used with those mobile devices, right? to connect to the right person that has the answer you need. And sometimes that person, they're at another store, right? They're right. not in your store, they're right. in a different one, or they could be a corporate. These are the same collaboration tools that you know those of us that work in those corporate environments were used to, but now they're getting pushed out to store teams to get that exact same benefit. Right. Uh, and I would argue this is a do more with less because most often a lot of organizations are already paying for these tools to use at corporate. And we're just extending them a little bit to the store teams in some fashion. Right. Yeah, but I want to. Oh, sorry, Ricardo. Yeah. Just because you made me think about it, I want to ask you about that though too. But it's it's not a it's not a perfect lift or land though, right? Because the store environment is a different environment too. So like you know, you could think you could take Slack as an example. I don't know whatever tool you want to use, but like that you could port it in, you know, easily into the field organization. But because the field operators are doing things differently and they mm-hmm. have customers in front of them, how are you seeing? How is that evolving? Because it it must yeah. have to to some degree. Like how are you seeing that play out? There are. I mean, I can give you some, you know, from a, at a, a product level of things, right? You know, we talk about collaborative tools, right? We like to talk about teams as mm-hmm. a collaboration tool. Right. And if you think about, well, how do I push teams out to a store? Mm-hmm. The, the usage might not be exactly the same as you might use it in a, in a corporate headquarters setting, right? So there are, you know, there are new things that get introduced to that product. We have partners that build on some additional layers onto that too. For example, that that give a workforce management capability. So you can do shift management within a team's client on a mobile device right. in the store, which would be something, you know, you might not need that at a corporate environment, but obviously you need that at a store level. It, right. It's a pretty critical functionality. Then when you look at uh, task management, there are a lot of new solutions now that we're seeing retailers uh, pick up that kind of break out different tasks into smaller bite-sized pieces that give you an, an easy-to-view mechanism to keep track of those for each store employee. 
Right. Uh, and then if you think about what does the store manager want to see, well, they might want an overview across all of the, the, the store team, right? And how is everybody progressing against these things? But rather than have to go to a back office, log into a system to see it, wouldn't they like to also have access to that on their own mobile device? So, right. you, know, you know, I don't have my phone in my hand like David does to show the prop, but we can picture it the same way that yeah. store manager doing the same thing. And you kind of work your way up the line, right? A district manager can do the same thing. And we're just taking a technology that started out at that corporate setting, That's cool. but enhancing it a little bit to your point, right? Adding the, the layers that are needed to support those store teams and making it accessible and available to all, all the, the staff in the store to make them more productive and more efficient. Right. And again, focusing on those tools that have the flexibility, the mobile device, first of all, not having right. 10 different you know devices that they have to pick up and use for each one of these applications. Yeah. But how how can we get narrowed in on what one device can do or two devices can do versus four? Um, right. I mean, you don't want the, the store employee talking into their PDA, their handgun, scanning I mean, the shells. <laughs> I don't know. You feel like there's a lot. You already, no, I think you're, you're dead already, right. Like, you're what, dead what right. What's the average like, Costco re or like warehouse or, you know, large big box retail store employee walking? They're like doing thousands of steps. You talk about it. It's like moving a house every day. Yeah, doing like, so much stuff. Yeah. If yeah. you have all that weight on you and all that bulk, it just, it can't be easy. Um, David, I want to go to you quickly to close us out on this topic, but what are you seeing when it comes to the collaboration then from what's happening in the store or online and the brands that are participating in this too? Yeah, so a couple of things. So look, uh, brands, the consumer products, goods companies and retailers, they're all chasing the same end consumer. Uh, and you know, at the end of the day, I think we talked about this or you were touching on this a little earlier, um, partners getting together and trying to figure out how to solve some of these hard problems. We're seeing that in data collaboration, whether that's trying to improve uh, inventory insights, supply chain insights, consumer insights to market better. It really only happens with you know, a data sharing collaborative between retailers and CPGs. Mm. Uh, ultimately, CPGs are great at delivering those products at scale and at volume to their retail partners. They also have some understanding of the end consumer. The retailers have that as well. Uh, and so they need the right uh, insights in order to drive that direct consumer, perhaps marketing experience, but then the delivery experience channel through their retail partners. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's key. I think, you know, the other part, when we just talk about pure technology partners, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the partners who have solutions that can solve multiple problems. When we talk about, you know, take that phrase that gives me this visceral experience and just shorten it to just do more. I like do more means I can invest a certain amount or have a certain uh, amount uh, applied to a specific asset, but it solves for a variety of use cases. And that's how I can drive resiliency. And, you know, I can pick on one, for example, it's been around for a while. It seems to be picking up, which is around, uh, you know, technology partners that offer electronic shelf labeling, mm -hmm. right? Electronic digital shelf tags. It solves a point solution. Uh, sometimes it's been a heavy lift, but the ROI on that single use case has been pretty clear. I've heard signal from certain chain stores that take about eight to 10 hours a week per store, just changing the little yellow tags throughout the store yeah. price updating. We say, okay, we can solve for that. But is that all? No. Well, now the, uh, the technology is matured enough that it can also be used to kind of notify uh, someone who's doing pick and pack. We call it like mm -hmm. pick to light. Right. So as we're doing this curbside pickup, the concierge service, 
that an employee, as they're walking through the store, they've got their own little wayfinding uh, on their tablet, that they can, with laser precision, find that product really quickly. But then, wait, there's more. Like I said, again, two knives, you know, it's not just, you know, providing centralized price management with a large enough display and digital paper, potentially that collaboration with retail, the CPGs, can deliver relevant product information on those intelligent displays. And some are kind of, they could be animated and there's something that's like experiential. Uh, So there's an additional kind of co-op advertising opportunity. In addition to that, so we've got one partner in ecosystem. I love their their solution, SCS Imago Tag. They layer a camera on top of this. It can then face the other aisle. Mm-hmm. It solves the next problem, which is, do I have planogram compliance? Hey, is that product out of stock? Right. And now we're going into the circle where we were just talking about inventory optimization, inventory management. And there's a feedback loop of data that goes back to the brands that says, I can tell you what the product, if, what's the current inventory, if it's out of stock, I don't have to get somebody in a car or on a plane or a train to actually yeah. visit the store. And that's what I love about this kind of, this resilient retail um, solution. And that it's one building block that we just kind of just build all these other scenarios on top of. That's what doing more means to me. So that yeah. really excites me. That's a great example too. What I, what I love about that too is I love about what both of you guys shared. You got a software example, and then you have one that's inherently driven by hardware with the application of software, of course, too. But you've got like the Teams example, like Ricardo shared, and then you've got the electronic shelf label bringing that to life too, where all of those things bring extra option value when deployed in the right way to Teams, particularly too, in the way you described it, Ricardo. All right, well, let's get you guys out of here on this one. So um, you've talked a lot about, you know, kind of, doing more with less, you know, that type of angle to this. But what about if we want to just drive some revenue? Like, let's just get back to the good old days of driving some revenue. We don't want to leave that behind. We're still retailers at heart here. Ricardo, what do you think of on that? Well, I, I yeah, absolutely agree, right? You, It's all about finding new revenue streams this year, I think. So but last time we were on, we talked about retail media networks, right? So right. this time uh, I'll shift a little bit and talk more about what we like to call data as a service. Um, hmm. and it has, it shows itself in many ways, right? So every retailer is collecting lots of data. We all know that, but what can a retailer do to monetize that data in a way that both brands that they're uh, delivering in their store, but even potentially other retailers can leverage. And there's different ways that this manifests itself, right? It could be a logistics service, right? If it's a retailer that really can maximize the use of their store network, their own delivery network, why not extend that for other retailers? Uh, you know, you've got examples like Walmart and Go Local, right, where they're offering that to other retailers and they're signing up more and more people. You have Gap offering their logistic services mm-hmm. to other retailers, right? And those are just a couple of examples. Yeah. But then even the customer insights that you have, right? Now that when we look at, you know, the loss of third-party cookies, right, that, that's coming, every brand wants to know more about the customers that buy their products. But if those products are being bought at retailers, how are they going to work with the retailers to get that data back in so they can get the understanding, not just the retailer having the understanding? That That's an opportunity for retailers to leverage the data they have in, in a way that they can sell as a service. David, what would you add here? Any, any other things that come to mind as you're thinking about what Ricardo just said? Yeah, when you think of that data as a service and also this partnership, so we'll touch on again, this just retail media. Yeah. Why? Because it's it's part of that do more campaign. What's another not talk that, about this right now? Like, what, what what retailers have in their asset and in their inventory and yeah. in their catalog, all their physical locations, those four walls. 
So if I'm a chain store with thousands of locations, can I drive new retail media experiences, whether it's a small form factor, whether it's an ESL, whether it's larger displays, uh, can I deliver some relevant edutainment type of material for my CPGs and kind of uplift and mature the old model of cooperative advertising? Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing that now it's, it's um, whether it's on small form factor on the shelves, uh, larger, it's any type of, uh, it could be chain stores, it could be retail, we're seeing it uh, interest in QSRs. Mm-hmm. And so this is a great way to engage with customers. And then it can be either kind of more um, less intelligent displays to those that kind of mature into the more intelligent ones that maybe interact with location-based services. So as a consumer walks in with their device, kind of recognizes them, gives them a personalized experience. Your order's ready. Here's something that's complimentary. Yep. By the way, you know, perhaps provide them with more information about the brand that they're shopping for. So it's super exciting. It's new routes to revenue. And it's not really a heavy lift because they already have the infrastructure in place. Right. And it's something we've never had the capability to do. I mean, we had Christy Arjlan, uh, from head of Albertson's retail media uh, program on at NRF. And I think that's just... We, I don't even think we, we understand quite what we have at our fingertips because everyone is shop. Like everybody has to go grocery shopping. That's something they do yeah. regularly. And so we've never had as brands, the ability to really segment and talk to a consumer in this way ever in the history of media. Like the, it's just not been a possibility. So I think that that is unlocking all this opportunity that yeah, we well, and particularly to... not to measure its impact exactly. too, right? I mean, exactly. we've had, we've had, you know, like flyers, you know, those, remember those little things you pull off on the red, they'd be yep. like the red you pull off and then like, you know, but you never knew the impact those were having that in that moment. Now you do. And, and to your point, Dave, you're seeing all kinds of cool solutions from everything from like EV charging stations that can be in retail media platforms to, I saw something last week, the cart itself, I was talking to the CEO of Vive, like him, that's the play he's trying to make, mm-hmm. you know, in this space as well. So yeah, really interesting space to see how it plays out. And your point about this physical store being this untapped goldmine for that is 100% right. Right. And we've got, uh, you know, I've seen some great solutions from a partner of ours, AT&T. And with their solution, when I say it's really low, uh, a low lift on the infrastructure, as long as you already have the, the capability and connectivity to the network, like low voltage connectivity for a device that's powered, like it's self-powered, basically. Right. Um, on low voltage. So the display doesn't require any additional um, infrastructure investment. So it's really exciting how the technology is advanced where you can have, you can think about the cart. You could think about a display on a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you could think about the integration through other ecosystems like Redbox, you know, mm-hmm. for DVD rentals that are outside right. a lot of these chain locations. And so the variety of different touch points and the, the way that you can provide a unique experience to consumers is super exciting. Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time to walk us through these great resiliency tips for retailers and brands. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, they want to dive deeper into this, especially into some of the partners, I think that you, that you have, you know, underneath the Microsoft umbrella that can help kind of piece together this secret sauce or this solution for retailers. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you, David? Uh, just click on the link in LinkedIn and, uh, you know, that's, that's usually the best way. Smoke signal doesn't work anymore, but, uh, yeah. Uh, and Ricardo as well. We, we love to, to 
uh, also learn from the community and uh, and talk about any of these solutions. So, uh, always happy to engage. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks to both of you for sitting down with us today. That wraps us up. Thanks to all of you for joining us live and posting your questions on LinkedIn as we went along. And everyone watching now, or maybe you're listening later, on behalf of all of us at Omnitalk, as always, be careful out there.